0: Open your Bibles to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. We're going to look at verses 33 through 40 this evening. And it's about ending well. Ending well. The race is not over until we reach the finish line. It doesn't matter how fast we get out of the starting blocks. Doesn't matter how far we've gone you know what matters is when we is reaching the finish line paul and jesus both ended well paul said i ran the race and i finished the race i fought the good fight jesus said i did all that the father has given me to do i have finished all the work that the father has given me to do so paul and jesus both finished their race and they finished it well to the glory of god but not every believer reaches the finish line. Not all believers reach that wanted goal. Again, a good start should lead to a good ending. But that's not always the case. That's not always the way that it turns out. For example, Lot, Samson, King Saul, Ahithophel, Demas. They all got off to a good start. But their lives ended in disaster. And the psalmist here wanted to end well. But ending well, understand, is the result of living well. Ending well is the result of living well. And there are some basic things that we have to do in order to have a consistent life that ends well. Now here in these verses, 33 through 40, we have the combination of learning, obeying, delighting, fearing longing and religion but the kind of learning that the psalmist is interested in here is learning God's word the psalmist wants to learn God's word so that he might walk in it and that he might obey it in other words to make progress in his learning he wants to be he wants God to be his teacher Just like he did in verse 12 verse 26 and verse 27 And these verses that are before us here have nine prayers in them So these eight verses is a series of prayers for example for acceptance for progress For assistance and perseverance in god's school of spiritual learning And in verses 33 through 34 the psalmist wants to get into god's school Because he wants to learn because, you see, he needs something that he doesn't have to live a holy life. So let's begin now with verses 33 through 34. And the psalmist says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall keep it, notice, to the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. So verses 33 and 34 speak of learning. The psalmist here asks God to teach him to follow his statutes. Statutes, just another word for his word, his laws. You know, his ordinances, his commandments, they're all the same. So that that it would give him understanding and he'll be able to keep his law, which are practically, like I said, the same thing. The reason that the psalmist is asking for this instruction is so that he might be able to keep God's statutes to the very end. And be able to obey God's law with his whole heart. Now, when he says to the end, that means without time limit. All the way to his last breath. And with my whole heart, it means without hesitation. To obey God's word immediately. To not him and haunt saying, Oh, well, you know, should I, shouldn't I? Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. It's obeying his word with his whole heart means without hesitation. I'm going to do it because he says it what the psalmist is saying here is that when he's lacking what he's lacking is understanding and he's lacking the power to do what he's been made to understand he needs to do and we're all basically in that same boat so we also need twice as much help our minds have to be opened our hearts have to be held in restraint that is Our heart wants so many things, but we have to hold in restraint. We can't allow our heart to lead us to places or to do things that that we're not to be doing. We, just like the psalmist, also have to start with this confession if we're going to learn God's ways. If, If we're going to be fully developed in the ways of God that we'll see in verses 34 through 37... The way we're going to do it is by keeping God's word in our minds. and, And follow it with our feet and with our heart and with our eyes. Four important parts of the body. Solomon said in Proverbs 4, 20 through 27, he said, My son, notice, give attention to my words, speaking of the mind. He said, incline your ears to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. Because they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence. The word keep means to guard like a prisoner, like a a guard uh, guards his prisoner. He said, keep your heart, guard your heart with all diligence. For out of it, that is your heart, out of your heart spring the issues of life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes, notice, look straight ahead. Notice how many times he mentions the eyes, at least three so far. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. Then in verse 34 again, give me understanding and I shall keep your law. Indeed, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Speaking of the mind, Speaking of the mind, give me understanding, the psalmist says. The wisdom that the psalmist is looking for is helpful wisdom. You see, it's walking according to God's law as well as knowing God's law. Because to walk in the wisdom of God, we need to know the wisdom of God. And we only learn that through his word. It's in the mind that our new nature and our old humanness are mixed together. You know, it's in the mind where we make choices as to whether or not we're going to show our new nature in holiness or we're going to allow our fleshly human nature to behave in an ungodly way. That is a choice that we have to make every single day in a thousand ways. Our minds are so important. And the psalmist starts with the mind here in 33 and 34, asking God to help him to understand the Bible, the Word. The statutes of God, the laws of God, the judgments of God, the commandments of God. And that's why Paul said in Romans twelve two, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And let me tell you, man, we need, you know, when we were in the world, we needed a renewed mind. That's why it's necessary that you know the word of God, the Bible. In fact, it is necessary to have an intellectual understanding of God's ways before we can apply them. For the simple reason we can't apply what we don't know. God has good, acceptable, and perfect plans for his children. God wants us to be transformed people. He wants us to have renewed minds, living to honor and obey him. And because he wants only what's best for us, we should happily give ourselves as living sacrifices for his service. Christians are called not to be conformed to this world, to not allow the world to shape us into its mold, to pressure into its like, to pressure us into its likeness. And, and, and we're not to be conformed to this world, to its behavior and its customs, which are usually selfish. They're self-centered and they're often corrupting. Now, many Christians are wise enough to see and decide for themselves that a lot of worldly behavior is off limits for them. But, refusing to conform to this world's values has to go even deeper than just our behavior and our lifestyle. Because, you know, we can can go through the outward. You know, just like Jesus said, you know, that, that, you know, uh, if you commit adultery in your heart, it it is a sin. It's the same as, you know, as, you know, the outward act in a sense, because it's in your heart, just because you don't do it physically, you know, it's in your heart to do it. So we can act outwardly the word of God, But again, the Word of God, to be uh, transformed is, is to go deeper than just our behavior and lifestyle. It has to be. The Word of God has to be firmly planted in our minds. That's why Paul said to put on the mind of Christ. To be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And like I said, it's possible to stay away from the most worldly lifestyles and the most worldly behavior And to still be proud, covetous, selfish, stubborn, arrogant, and whatever else sin you want to add to the list. It's only when the Holy Spirit renews and restrains and redirects our thinking, our minds, that we are truly transformed. No one can understand God. His ways are are, are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways and thoughts are above ours. Who really knows the mind of the Lord? And other than through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way we'll know the mind of the Lord. Believers have insight into some of the things of God. Into some of God's plans, thoughts, and actions. In fact, they have, as I said earlier, the mind of Christ. Isaiah said in forty thirteen and 14. He said, who is able to advise the Spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or to teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? No, he is righteousness. He is goodness. He is instruction. He is wisdom. That's why we need to learn from him through his word. Through the Holy Spirit, we can start to know God's thoughts and talk with him. And we can expect him to answer our prayers. Are we spending enough time with Jesus to have his actual mind in us? You see, acting like Jesus and thinking like Jesus doesn't come automatically. It's when we spend time with him and we get to know him and his mind that we can begin to imitate him. You know, that's why Paul said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. An intimate relationship with Jesus comes only from spending time consistently in his presence and in his word. You know, it's like a marriage relationship. You know, Peter tells us to dwell with our wives according to knowledge. And, you know, and again, it goes, it's just the wives and also the husband. In order, if we're going to dwell with them in knowledge, if we're going to get to know them, we have to live with them in such a way that we, we learn everything about them. And the closer we are to, to our spouse, and the more we talk to them, and the more we have that intimate fellowship, the more we learn about them. It's the same thing with, with, with Christ. The closer our relationship is with him and the more we talk to him, the better we know him. Now he knows us, but we need to know him and we need to know him better. And again, that comes from an intimate relationship and fellowship with Jesus Christ. The way that the Holy Spirit accomplishes this transformation is by the renewing of our mind. Now, this is an important and often repeated topic in the New Testament. The outward transformation is accomplished by an interchange in the mind. The Holy Spirit's way of transforming our minds is by and through God's Word. David testified in Psalm 119.11, Your word I have hid in my heart, notice, that I may not sin against you. God's own word is the instrument that his Holy Spirit uses to renew our minds. Which in turn then he uses to transform our life. You know, when I first got saved and I began to read the scriptures, nobody told me not to drink. Nobody told me not to do drugs. Nobody told me what I could and couldn't do. It happened as I began to read the scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit gave me the ability to restrain myself from not doing those things. And he taught me. He's the one who said what I should and shouldn't do. Because anybody told me what I shouldn't and shouldn't do. I say, it's none of your business, what I do or don't do. But when God spoke to my heart, I realized it was God. And that, that's what began to change my life as I read the scriptures. And I had that fellowship with him and he with me. He began to transform to, to my mind or renew my mind. And as he renewed my mind, my thinking, my thought process, it changed my life. It's the Holy Spirit who transform our minds transforms our minds by the word of God. It's God's Word. It's His instrument that He uses through the power of the Holy Spirit to transform our living. Paul emphasized this truth over and over again in his letter to the Colossians. As Paul preached Christ, he was admonishing them in Colossians 1.28. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we can present every man perfect in Jesus Christ. By receiving Christ as our Lord and Savior, we have put on the new man. We're new creatures in Christ. The old has passed away and everything has become new. We put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him, Christ, who created us. And as a result, Paul said in Colossians 3.16, we are to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with grace in your hearts to the lord it's the transformed and renewed renewed mind it's drenched in and controlled by the word of god the transformed and renewed mind is the mind that's drenched just soaked in and absorbing and controlled by the word of God. It's the mind that spends as little time as possible. Even with the necessary things of earthly living. as much And as much time as possible with the things of God. Because the cares of this world can choke the word out of our life. It can choke the Christian living out of our life. Even though they're not bad things. But we can get so busy with earthly things and the cares of this life that it chokes out the Word of God in our life. Paul said, it's the mind that, sets on the, that is set on the things above and not on the things of earth. Colossians 3, 2. Whether good or bad. When anything happens in our lives, like said, whether it's good or bad, When anything happens in our lives, our instant, almost spontaneous response should be biblical. How is it biblical? Whether it's good or bad, whatever happens in my life, I go, it's the Lord. Not, oh, Lord, why did this? I may wonder why it happened, but I'll know it's the Lord. And I'll ask Lord, instead of Lord, you know, get me out of this. It's Lord, what do you want me to get? out of this teach me Lord what are you wanting me to learn what are you wanting to teach me? what are you wanting to show me because I know this is from you whatever it is it's from you because and you got to keep that in mind because if you can't instantly say it's the Lord then you go then you start having doubts why how come is he angry with me did I do something wrong I mean, of course, that could be the reason too. It could be, you know, a disciplinary action. But remember, when 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 Abraham left to the to the land that God was showing him, God said, "Go to a land I will show you." And when he got there, there was a famine. What did he do? He went to Egypt. Now, did that mean that that Abraham was out of the will of God, or he did something wrong? Because when he got to the place God told him to go, there was a famine. No. When he went to Egypt, he messed up because God didn't say go to Egypt. But he went there thinking, well, there's a famine here. There's something wrong. No, he was in the perfect will of God by going to where he was directed by God, even though there was a famine there. You see, you can be in the will of God and still have difficulties. But that's why you have to know whatever happens, good or bad, it's the Lord. Nothing slips through God's fingers. Nothing gets by him. It's arranged or designed by God. For some, for some It's just a part of his, his mysterious will for our lives. But we have to be able to say spontaneously, it is the Lord. And not allow yourself to become a victim of the trial, but to become a victor. Lord, what are you wanting to teach me? When Jesus was on earth, he answered Satan's temptations by throwing back scripture in the devil's face. Remember, and again, Jesus is a perfect example of of being in the will of God. You know, in in Matthew chapter 3, at the end of the verse, he got baptized. The spirit descended upon him like a dove and the father's voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I mean, what a blessing what a blessed experience Jesus had at that moment. The very first verse of chapter 4 said he was led into the wilderness by Satan to be tempted. Did Jesus mess up? No, Jesus was in the perfect will of God. Though Satan came and, and, and tempted him more than, than any man has ever been tempted. Yet he was in the perfect will of God. That's why we have to have a biblical knowledge of God's word. A biblical understanding of God's word. Only the mind that's continuously being renewed by God's spirit working through God's word is pleasing to God. Remember, Hebrews says it's impossible to please God without faith. It's only this kind of a mind that's able to make our lives a living and holy sacrifice which is good, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, which is our spiritual service of worship. And then in verse 35, the psalmist speaks of obedience. Notice. He says, Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. The psalmist says, Lord, make me walk in the path of your commandments. You see, if we're going to make progress in God's schoolroom, In God's classroom, we need God's Word before us. We need to place God's Word before our feet to guide our path. Psalm 119, 105, the psalm said, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Paul said in Ephesians 4, 1, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. We can only live that life worthy of our calling if we know the Word of God. To walk, you know, if you went into the woods at night... You better be carrying a flashlight, some kind of light, because you're going to trip over rocks and stones and, and pits and whatever obstacles might be in your way. Those things, those obstacles, those pitfalls, those rocks in the roads, those can represent false values and philosophies in this world. That's why you need the Word of God, so that you can recognize the philosophies and the false values of this world, because they're everywhere. Study the Bible, know the Bible so you'll be able to see your way clear enough to stay on the right path. What's the way we should walk? Well, the word path means in Hebrew to tread. It means the trodden way. It doesn't mean a new direction. In other words, it's a path because of the many who have gone before us on it. That's what a path is. When you find a path, it's it's a it's a it's a road that people have walked on, and it has become a path. How many times have you heard about skiers? There was just one the other who, who ran into a tree and killed himself. He went off the path. And when you go skiing, if you're a skier or even hiking, stay on the trails. Stay on the trails. Because it's when you go off the trails that you get into trouble. You get lost. So that's what God's path means here. It's a beaten path. It's a path that many have already walked on before. And that's why we need to stay stay in the Bible, study the Bible, so that we can see our way clear enough to stay on the right path. We live in a time, we live in a time where, where they're always, it's constant improvement. They're always making things better. And, and, and we, they, they give us, they try to give us this mindset that, that it should be better. Always trying to make things better, even the word of God. Because everything that is old is bad. And what is good? Oh, it's new. That's why in advertising says, oh, new and improved. It's better than what it was before. And doesn't everybody want what's better than before? Yeah. Old products are sold by giving them a new twist or a new look, a different package. It's brighter, it's bigger, it's bolder, lettery. It, it says the new or the new and improved. And you know what? We tend to get caught up in that thinking because of our cultural environment. The psalm here reminds us that the Lord's way is not a new way or an unusual way, but rather an old established way where the people of God have walked from the very beginning of His dealings with the human race. In terms of the Christian life, We are we are not trendsetters. What did Paul say? We're to be imitators, not trendsetters. And you see, the the, the, many churches have gotten into being trendsetters. The emergent church, the friendly seeker church. We don't talk a lot about sin and, and and the cross and the blood. Because we don't want people to feel convicted, we want them to go away feeling good. That's why they're packed out. Because they make people feel good. Jesus said that the Holy that, that, that He came, that the Holy Spirit came to to convict the world of sin and of judgment, itching ears. Wanting to hear something good, something fun, something that makes them go away feeling warm and fuzzy. We want to be like those who have gone before us, don't we? We want to walk the way they walked. We want to be like Abraham and Moses and David and Paul and especially Jesus and others down through the centuries to our time. Jesus even told us, hey, the road is narrow. It's a narrow path. And there are only a few who walk it. The, the whole idea is, is the simplicity of aim. In other words, remove every obstacle that might interfere with your moral life. Solomon said in Proverbs 4, 14 and 15, he said, do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. He said, avoid it. Don't even travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. Avoid it with all of your might. Don't even get close to it. Go walk around it if you have to. But don't enter the path of the wicked. Don't walk in the way of the evil. Avoid it, he said. Stay as far away from it as you can. Then he goes on to speak about his heart. Notice verse 36. He says, Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to covetousness. The heart. The word incline means to turn. He said, Turn my heart. Incline my heart to your testimonies, which again is just another word for his, his word, his law. Turn my heart to your word, God. Solomon in Proverbs 4 warned us above all things that have to be guarded. He said, keep, your, keep guard of your heart. And I read that earlier. And the reason that he said guard your heart is, is because out of it, out of our hearts spring the issues of life. That is the moral behavior of life. It's actions, everything that we do. And after that, they're all decided by the condition of your heart. How you behave in your life, how you act, everything that you do is decided by the condition of your heart. If the heart is pure, the life is going to be pure. If the heart is corrupt, the life is going to be corrupt. And physically speaking, the heart is the central organ of the body. Morally, it's the seat of the affections and the center of moral awareness. Just like the body depends upon a healthy heart, so does moral health depend on a spiritual healthy heart. And if we're going to make progress in God's school, God's classroom, guess what? We have to want to walk it. We have to want to walk that narrow path which is what the psalmist prays for next when he prays here, incline or turn my heart to your testimonies and to not be covetous. That is not toward selfish gain, Lord. Do it for, May I do it for you and not for selfish gain. Not for things for myself. He's asking God to turn his heart toward the Bible, towards his word, rather than allowing him to chase after selfish gain. Things that won't benefit him at all. And for the first time, the psalmist is admitting to a potentially divided mind. Lord, turn me away from those things that are just selfish gain and turn me towards your word. Lord, so so that I don't have a divided heart. He wants to pursue God's word. But he knows in his own heart. And he's aware that he could easily also fall into covetousness, which could ruin him. And Jesus warned us, hey, you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve two gods. The psalmist knew this. Not only that, he knew the attraction that riches have. He knew the draw of the things of the world and his tendency to go after them. So here so here he's asking God Lord turn my heart away from the things of the world turn my heart away from riches and 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 turn it towards you Lord turn it t- turn it towards your word instead And then he asks the Lord to deal with his eyes look at verse 37 turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive me in your way What the heart loves and what the heart desires the eyes will see To have one eye on the world and the other eye on the Word is to be double-minded. We saw that in James this morning. And James says, God doesn't bless double-minded people. He doesn't bless those with a divided heart. You need your eyes to study God's Word. And here the psalmist doesn't even speak of what the eyes should be toward to, only what they should be turned away from. Turned away from worthless things. It could be reading a, a, a worldly magazine. It could be watching worldly TV. It could be watching worldly movies. Whatever might be deemed a worthless thing. The psalmist here says, Lord, I want to be delivered from these worthless things. And the verse follows naturally from the one before it. And so again, he says, Lord, I I don't want to help me to to not look at these things. And for once, the psalmist has started to think about what might keep him from a profitable study of the word of God. And he realizes here that he's tempted uh, by more than just riches. There are a lot of worthless things in this world that are so appealing that they suck us in. But if we're going to advance in the, in, the, in, the, in the school of God, we have to fix our eyes on the things of God. We have to fix our, things, our eyes on things that are everlasting. The things of this world are fleeing. Fix our eyes on the things that are everlasting rather than the fleeting things that just are all temporary. Temporary. Verse 37, once again, turn away my eyes from looking at worthless things and revive revive me in your way. Verse 37 is mentioned in the book Pilgrim's Progress. It's when Christian, the character Christian and faithful, they come to Vanity Fair, which is a type of the world on their way to the celestial city, which is heaven. And here in Vanity Fair, all of the merchandise of the world was for sale. And here's Christian and faithful. They're in the midst of all of this. But those who were on their way to the celestial city, they didn't find it fit for them. They didn't fit in with these people of Vanity Fair again, which was a type of the world. And when they were asked to stop and to buy things, they put their, their hands over their ears and they ran away and they cried, Lord, turn my eyes away from beholding vanity and to look toward heaven to show where the business of their lives is. You see, it's the Christian's only smart way, the best way to respond to the attractions of this world. Faced by temptations and the dangers of life, the psalmist is aware, man, I need help, God. I need help to to turn my eyes away from these wicked things of the world, these worthless things that my eyes attach to. He knows he needs help. Where can he find that help? Only from God. And the only reason that he can hope for God's help is because God has promised to help him. As it says in verse 38, establish your word to your servant who is devoted to fearing you. He's not thinking of any particular promise. He's thinking of the whole word of God. And the psalmist knows if he's going to finish the course of his study in God's school, He's going to have to live by all of God's word and he's going to have to live by all of God's word all of the time, not picking and choosing what he wants to live by. In other words, Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word, not some of the word. Not the word that we like to choose and to pick from every word that comes from the mouth of God. So in a way, all of, God's, all of God's Word is a promise to us. All of God's Word is a promise of life to those who repent of their sin and who choose to walk in the ways of God. It's a promise of death and judgment for those who reject the gospel message. The very Word of God that will save you will judge you if you reject it. So the psalmist here, he's clinging to the promise of life Because he fears God. That is, he reveres God. And he stands in awe of God. And if we're going to benefit from the psalmist's example, we have to do the same thing. We must revere God. The psalmist says, Turn away my eyes. That means fix the eyes steadily and unswervingly upon an object before them, not to allow the gaze to deflect either to the right hand or to the left. Simply put, it means stay focused don't look to the left don't look to the right it simply means look straight in front of you jesus christ is my goal he's who i have my eyes on i'm forever looking unto jesus it's it it, it means it's it's what the command teaches here is, is a simplicity of aim or principle, singleness of motive. In other words, it's very easily, it just means stay focused. It's very simple. And that focus should be serving the Lord your God. For the furtherance of the gospel with an undivided heart. It's so easy to let our eyes wander, isn't it? Everything that moves, we, we look at it. What's that? What's that? And we're always looking. It's easy to let our eyes wander. It's easy to focus on worthless things. And then become bitter and envious and covetousness because we don't have it. But when you, let your, when you start to let your eyes wander aimlessly, Be warned. Be warned. You know, Solomon said that the eyes, you know, are are never tired of seeing nor the ears of hearing. Because we're always looking for something new, something bigger, better, more exciting, more beautiful. And we're always listening for the latest thing. What's over here? What's over there? They're never satisfied, our eyes nor our ears, with hearing or seeing. Therefore, they wander aimlessly, our eyes. Do you fear God? Not, it's not a fear like like you're afraid he's going to, you know, come down with a club and whack you for messing up. No, it means reverence. Do you revere God because of who he is and because of who we are? Do you live by every word that comes from his mouth? Let's close now with verse 39 and 40. And the psalmist says, Turn away my reproach, which I dread, for your judgments are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. Revive me in your righteousness. In other words, these verses bring a new idea. That is, in regards to to, to being in God's school and to being in His classroom, it compares to the mistake of dropping out. When young people drop out of high school, there isn't much of a future for them. They may work at an unskilled, low-paying job or even worse, you know, commit crimes in order to, to, to make, you know, make money to support themselves. But the problem the psalmist says might cause him to drop out is reproach. He says, Lord, turn away my reproach, which I dread. He says, my reproach might cause me, this disgrace might cause me to drop out. Lord, take away the reproach that I dread because your judgments are good. The word reproach means disgrace in verse 39. And it can be thought of in two ways. It could be the disgrace brought on by God because of the psalmist's sin. That is, he could disgrace himself by his disobedience or... It could be to this grace that's piled on him by sinners because of his faithfulness, his faithful obedience to God's law. That is ridicule. Ridicule could be piled on him because of his faithfulness, because of his obedience to God's word. We don't know which one for sure, but whatever the reason, the danger is still the same. The danger of dropping out of God's school, God's classroom, God's teaching either because of of personal failure or because of other people's ridicule? Are you tempted to drop out because of your own failures or because of other people's ridicule? Don't do it. Keep on going. And remember Jesus' words, and you will be hated by all for my sake, for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved enduring to the end now endurance isn't the way to be saved but endurance is the evidence that a person is really committed to jesus christ and that's the commi- the key are we committed to jesus christ father thank you for this beautiful passage lord thank you for the beautiful teaching lord that you have for us god And Lord, may we treasure your word, God. Lord, I never get tired of speaking about your word, Lord. It's never boring. It's never, oh, it's the same old thing, the word, the Bible. Father, because it's a lamp to our path and a light to our feet, God. Father, it keeps us from stumbling, Lord, we live in a dark world, spiritually speaking, God. And Satan has laid out a lot of traps and pitfalls for us, Lord. But it's through your word that we are guided by you, Father. You guide us, Lord. You've already gone ahead of us. You already know what's in the path before us. And as we follow you, Lord, we, we, we avoid those pitfalls. You take us, Father, through a path that you've already walked on, Lord. Lord, help us to never take shortcuts. Help us to never detour from the path that you have set before us, God. If you're here this evening and and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you're not on that narrow path. You're on that broad road to destruction along with many, many who go there. Christ wants you to follow Him. He wants you to get on that path that He has set for us. The path that He has walked on. That he's made, able, made us able to follow him. The worship team's going to lead us in a song right now. And if God has spoken to your heart. And you realize. I need to get on the right road to life. That you've been walking on the wrong road. And it's led you to nowhere. It's led you to dead ends. In the Psalms, the psalmist said that there are many roads that seem right to man, but they all end in death. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. As the worship team leads us in this song, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, then as we worship, you get up out of your seat, you make your way down the aisles towards the steps up front. I'll meet you there, and when the song's over, we'll pray together a prayer of faith.